This is the 99 Black Podcast. Welcome to the 99 Black Podcast. My name is Wes, and this is Monday BS with Wes. If you viewed or listened to our episode last week, we talked about Romans. And that's what we're doing in this Monday BS session. You know, Mondays have a tendency to feel like kind of crappy. Most people aren't excited about Mondays, um, a case of the Mondays, all that stuff. So what we're trying to do is turn the tables on what is traditionally kind of a boring day or maybe a day that you don't look forward to. So welcome to Monday BS with Wes, and we are going to attempt to conclude the first chapter of the book of Romans. And last week, we talked about Romans 1, 1 through 17, and what we gathered was... Paul was trying to communicate some really good news. What is the good news? Well, Jesus has come to save. That's the good news. And uh, we're going to pick up on what the bad news is, kind of, today. Um, The good news for them was, like, they were Jews, they were Gentiles. Gentiles being people who were not Jews. If you don't remember that, that means you didn't watch or listen last week. So... Do that. Um, last week's episode is on YouTube. So we made it to YouTube. Go subscribe, 99 Black Podcast. I believe you go youtube.com slash forward slash at symbol 99 Black Podcast. You will find our YouTube channel. So last week we were discussing the Jews and the Gentiles have been united. Um, at this church in Rome, and uh, that's the good news, that Jesus has come to save both, first the Jew, he came first for the Jews, and the Gentiles weren't part of this covenant that he had made. We don't really, today we don't really comprehend how big of a deal that is. And now, Gentiles have been grafted in, which we're going to get to some of that language later, to uh, God's chosen people. And the Jews get to kind of celebrate with the, with the Gentiles. And in this first half of Romans 1, he urges um, all of them to grow in their faith. Okay? So, what we're going to do every week is uh, a version of Bible study that I like called Discovery Bible Study, or it's kind of like the Discovery Bible Study Method. And I've done this several times over years, leading different little small groups. And there's going to be four things that we do. The last three are like the big things about Discovery Bible Method, kind of how they work. But first, we're going to read parts of the text or all of the text, and then we're going to do this every week. So get used to it. We're going to summarize what we read. Now, this is a good thing for you to do because a lot of times people read something, and you say, well, what'd you read? And like, oh, like, I can't summarize it. And... I'm really bad about that because I have terrible reading comprehension. Uh, so it's really good. Every time I read and I am planning ahead to say, 
I am going to summarize this passage. Uh, I always do much better with like understanding the passage itself. So we're going to do that. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to ask, what do I see? What stands out? Third, we're going to say, what does this passage say about God? And fourth, what does this passage say about man, me, humanity? And this is a great method anytime that you're reading the Bible to say, okay, what, is, what did I just read? What's the summary of it? Maybe what's the context? What do I see that like sticks out that maybe I have questions about that I might want to write down, do a deep dive? I don't know what these things mean. So like I'm wanting to study them. And uh, what does this passage say about God? And when I say God, what does it say about Jesus? What does it say about the Holy Spirit? And what does it say about the Father? Either all three, one, just in general, what is it saying about God? And then lastly, what is it saying about me? Not that the passage is about me. What is it saying about me as a person? What is it saying about all of us and humanity that are plagued with sin? That's what we're going to kind of pick up today. So look for those, look for those things as you read. Every week, I'm going to try to not give you the full passage. That way I can leave you a little something. And there's one thing I want to get out of the way. Yes, I'm on here telling you about the Bible, but by no means am I smarter than you. I'm not smarter than you. I'm not necessarily less sinful than you. I might be, but not by not because uh I have some special uh what's this not certificate or whatever. I I sin. I am I I don't like to be defined as a sinner, but I am a saved person who sins. Thank thank you Jesus for saving me. Uh so I'm not better than you, but scripture's been revealed and I'm a, trying to apply it to my life in the way that God intended. So as we go through this passage, know that I'm not better than anybody and I'm definitely not smarter than than anyone. I'm just excited about the chance to study the Bible with you. So, grab your Bible, and we're going to start reading. And verses 18 through 32 of Romans chapter 1 are kind of broken into two main sections. Um, The first one being that there is a designer, and the second portion being that man is sinful, and they reject the designer. So, let's read... uh, Romans 1, 18, and there's a little note at the beginning of the, the, I keep wanting to say chapter, but this portion of the chapter, and it says God's anger at sin. One thing I always hear is that God is different in the New Testament than he is in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he was wrathful. He was ven- there was lots of vengeance upon sin. But in the New Testament, all we see is just God's grace. And look how gentle Jesus is. Now, this is definitely a misconception because Jesus is not gentle. Jesus was very offensive. And the gospel is offensive. And if you are forthright with people, all people, about their sin, that's going to offend. 
Now, there is a way that you can say things that are it's just hurtful. That's not what I'm talking about. I am speaking on the fact that if I present to you what sin is and which we're going to do, it's offensive. And we're going to see that God has anger at sin in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're in the New Testament. And God is refer- we're talking about the sin, I mean not the sin, but the anger at sin that God has. So don't get misunderstood that God's different in the old and the new. He's not. He's the same today. He's the same yesterday and forevermore. Verse 18, I want to kind of, this is going to be like in like two to four verse chunks. That way I don't overwhelm you. Got some feedback from one of my brethren. Said, hey, there's a lot of passage and I couldn't keep up. So I am taking constructive criticism. His name is Connor. Connor gave me the constructive criticism. Thank you, Connor. So we're going to try to break this into sections and maybe do the DBS method. How about that? DBS on Monday BS. That is great. Here we go. God showed his anger in verse 18 of Romans 1. From heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That's interesting. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. That sounds like you heard the phrase, uh, your truth, my truth. Oh, I should have worn that hoodie today. I actually have one that says, your truth is crossed out, my truth is crossed out, the truth. John 14, 6, or John 6, 14. It's the one where Jesus, I think it's 14, 6, but... It's where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes through the Father but through me. That's the passage. Look how smart I am. I can't even remember the verse. And I have it literally written on a shirt that I wear sometimes. But truth is suppressed by wickedness. And and remember, if uh, you listened last week, that Romans reminds me of the American people. It reminds me of our country, very uh, depraved. There's this thing called total depravity, which is a Calvinist doctrine, but there's no doubt that sinful people are completely depraved without God. And that's what we're going to see. Basically, what is the result of people who are without God? And we're going to talk about sin. And maybe you don't know what sin is. Well, it's not very hard to understand. Sin, essentially, the definition is to miss the mark, like a target. Like I'm pulling back the bow, shooting it, or I'm shooting a gun. Can't say gun on here, can I? Yeah, I can. You're shooting a gun at a target, and you miss. So to miss the mark is sin, essentially. It is a transgression. It is an offense. But who is defining the mark? Who is defining... um? The offense. Who is defining the transgression? Well, it's God. So God's holiness, God's perfect holiness, God's perfect law. So this is saying God has a perfect law. I attempt to reach the law, and I miss the mark. Any way that I do that is sin, and God hates it. God is completely against it, and when I participate in it, I am sinning. Anytime I do something that misses the mark of God's holiness, I am sinning. 
And we're going to see that in this passage. I'm going to continue with verse 19. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. I love this. Through everything God made, they can see clearly his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. This is saying that there is a designer of creation. And what about, what about the people that have never heard of God? This is giving you an answer to this question. Uh, you may have seen uh, in other videos, like I have a tattoo sleeve. Sorry. I'm sorry. I know that hurts some people's feelings. And I think maybe me and Connor are going to talk about that in a future episode. That is one of the questions I think someone asked for next year. But my tattoo sleeve is just what, what I like to call a nature sleeve. Sounds like, um, sounds like something you would eat. Sounds like you're going on a, a walk and you have like a sleeve of nuts and uh, trail mix, things that are good for you. I'm going to take a bite. While you're on your nature walk, what do I have in my, what do I got in my pack? Well, I've got my nature sleeve. Well, that's what I've got on my arm. So it's this, uh, lots of pictures of nature because I love camping. Oh my gosh. I love going camping with the boys we go on this long hike. We stay in the wilderness for three days with just whatever we took on our back. And at nighttime, you look into the sky over the mountains, and all you see is stars and just like, it's so dark because there's no city lights. There's no cell phone signal either. Um, and you go out there, and it's awesome. It is a great experience. And it's tough to get out there. I don't like that part, honestly, even though like, oh, manly. I can do this. I'm a man. I get out there and my shoulders are killing me from carrying a 40-pound bag because I'm a wuss. But I get out there, I do it, but it's so worth it because you get out there and you just see the vastness of God's creation. So what about people who haven't seen or haven't heard about God? Well, they, they know God. They they. <laughs> They encounter God, and they cannot deny that there is a designer. Verse 19 says that he has made it obvious to them. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. And they've also seen all the things God has made, because God is the creator. And this is going to be key language for a future verse. So his invisible qualities... And his eternal power and divine nature are revealed in the creation. No one goes outside and says, wow, I think Thor created this. No, they think that a God, if you really get to the meat of it, you don't go outside and think a polytheistic God created this. No, you think a monotheistic God created it. One God, right? Because it wouldn't make sense. Because if... Uh, if one God made another God, then who's that God and blah, blah, blah. You know, so uh, it has to be one God. I'm not trying to confuse you, but that's just how you have to look at it. So the key fact for this first portion, as Paul goes in, he's like, nature points to 
who God is, all things in nature, all creation. And that ranges from the flowers and the trees and all those mountains, but it also uh, continues to the human body and the way that the body is made. And you want to talk about intricacies. Like, it is astounding how everything is made. Look at it under a microscope. It's incredible. And it brings me to a point where I'm just like, God, you're way bigger than I even give you credit for sometimes. And it's really good. And that's one of the key things that first brought me to acknowledging who Christ was, was, you know, you got to settle on that there's a God, right? And this is, you look around, nothing like this comes into it. Nothing comes into existence out of nothing. My Chevrolet truck out there, if it just appeared in the woods, you would not say, wow, look at this truck. It, it just appeared here and built itself at, spontaneously and randomly. No, you would say someone put this here. Look how beautiful it is. I always use the analogy of a Rolex watch, but I wanted to use the analogy of my 20-year-old truck instead because I like my truck, whether you like it or not. And that's the way it should be. Verse 21 continues with this theme. Okay, so we've talked about the designer. And then it's, then it's going to say something about what people think about this designer. Verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. So it's like you look around, you see everything, but you won't even give God thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. How many people do you know that claim to be wise? That's a, I'm always very skeptical. Like, I hope I'm wise. I, I, there are things I probably have wisdom about just because of experience, but claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols to look like mere people and birds. They looked around. They said, this creation is astounding. I'm going to worship all the things that God created. So God abandoned them to do what, whatever their shameful hearts desired. I have circled hearts desired. Why do I have it circled? Because this is keying in on the fact that man loves to worship the desires of his heart. But the heart is deceitful. That's what the Bible says. Man's heart is deceitful. Who can know it? Like, it's so wicked when it gets down to the, to the matter of it because we love to worship ourselves. So it says instead of worshiping God, they worshiped the things he created in the likeness of the things he created and the likeness of people that he created, and they did what their hearts desired. This is not good. This is not good. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They took the things that God created with such intricacy and with such purpose. When you think about your body, it has so much purpose. And it has so much value. God has created you to worship him, to 
be content, not content is not, is not expressing the fullness of the word I'm trying to say. Like he wants you to find your identity in him, but they did what their hearts desired and they started doing things with each other's bodies. And what that tells me, what I see today is the moment that you tell someone to stop worshiping other people's bodies, they get very offended. And what do I mean by that? I mean sexual sin, lust. Soon as my heart is desiring another person's body, whether that's on a computer screen, on your phone, on your Instagram, on your social media, TikTok, YouTube, and then pornography websites or dating websites. It's this pursuit of sexual sin. It's For me, it seems like it's always the first thing that people try to find a way around. I'm cool with God until he starts telling me what to do with my body. And it says that when God abandoned the people that thought they were wise and thought that they were just going to worship the things that God created, God abandoned them to their desires, which is sad. But everybody, everybody wants God to stop bad stuff, but they, don't, they want God to stop evil until they realize that that would mean God stopping them. Because man's heart is evil. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And they, and they uh, served the things God created instead of the creator. That's key. Okay? And so I want to move to this passage that's very controversial. And I'm not going to harp on it because really there's no need. But we're going to be talking about sexuality This passage talks about sexuality. You can't get past it. I heard somewhere that President Obama said that this is an obscure passage in Romans. There's nothing obscure about this passage, by the way. This passage lines directly up with everything else that Jesus said and everything that God has said throughout his entire word. And even though sexuality may be one of the things mentioned in this passage. It is not the overarching theme, but what I will say again is that every time you tell someone that they can't sleep with who they want to sleep with and that they have to honor God with their bodies, and not only do they have to honor God with their bodies, but they need to honor other people's bodies which God created, that is where dissension begins. And we see it uh, spreading through the church and poisoning the well with sexuality, because why? God, uh, God's law is offensive, and man wants to serve the pleasures of his heart, which is most of the time sexual. Just look around. I bet, you're, I bet you've thought about something sexual recently. Why? Because that's just what people do. Um, it's a huge thing, and I instead of confronting it, i rather just enjoy it, and that gets in the way of how we enjoy God. That's just a matter of it. Uh, verse 26, and I'm just going to start reading 
for a little bit here, and then we'll kind of try to summarize if I can help myself. God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against natural ways to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. So women with women. And and the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. What is the penalty? The penalty is death and separation from God. The penalty is, is hell. But that is for all sin, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. So what did, what did they do? They exchanged what God had, his natural order, for a man to leave his wife and to be married to one woman, and they become one flesh, as Ephesians chapter 5 is very clear on. And they traded it for relations with one another and all types of sexual sin. And I listed the sexual sins earlier. Verse 28 continues, uh, and since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, they thought it's to even acknowledge God, that's dumb. No, I am God. My body is God. What I do, what I want to do with my body is God. They thought it foolish um, and uh, to acknowledge God, and he abandoned them. Once again, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. And so this is where we get into a a little more detail about what every other kind of wickedness is. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarrelsome, uh, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. You ever done any of those? Have you ever had hate in your heart? Have you ever been jealous of someone? Have you ever gossiped? Oh my gosh. If you're on here watching or listening... I know you've gossiped because it's one of the sins that we all like to ignore. It's right up there with gluttony. We like to pretend that it doesn't exist. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They invent new ways of sinning, and they're boastful about it. They're backstabbers of God, right? They've betrayed what God has done. And one of the most interesting things, and this is definitely a reflection of our society today that is in this verse, it says that they disobey their parents. Now, man, you just listed like homosexuality, homosexual sexual sins, and uh, murder, and bad behavior, and gossip. And then it seems like the little tag on the end, they disobey their parents. Yeah, yeah. That is definitely a reflection of a society. Uh, Kids that don't respect their parents. And you see this today. Uh, Fatherless homes, passive father homes, broken homes, abusive homes are all the product of just poor obedience within the family structure. And poor obedience in the family structure, hang with me, leads to poor leadership of children, which leads to disobedient children. And so a child is naturally disobedient. If you don't believe me, have a kid. You'll see. They're naturally disobedient even if you do the right things. But 
our culture today seems to embrace passive parenting and acceptance of broken homes, even though like we would never say like that's a good thing. The culture, that's the norm. It's normative. And disobeying your parents, families that have kids who are disobedient to their parent disobedient to their parents and their parents are okay with it or just take it, it leads to their family structured demise. And to end this passage, it says they refuse to understand, they break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. Man, that's not any type of people I want to be around. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Sin deserves death. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So they deserve to die because of these sins. And hear me out. That's not the end of the story, though. There are people who will be dead in their sin. They will die. They will be dead in their sin. But that doesn't have to be the end story because at the beginning of Romans 1, we see that there is good news. That you may be in these categories. You may suffer sexual sin. You may have participated in sexual sin. You may have participated in gossip. You may have participated in murder, envy. You may have been historically really disobedient to your parents, but there is redemption. God saves sinners. Turn, repent, believe. Turn your life over to Christ because this is what sin is. It's missing the mark. All of these things I listed, I didn't say one was greater than the other. One was a greater sin than the other. Now, do different sins have different consequences here? Yes. If I gossip, um, no one's throwing me in jail, right? Unless it had deeper roots or something. But if I gossip, I'm not going to jail for murder. But both things separate us from God, and both things are missing the mark. So, that was a lot, right? But don't, don't get overwhelmed because we're going to do a brief uh, summary. We're going to wrap this up for today's BS. What did we read? Well, we read that there's a designer, and we read that people have hated the designer. They have refused to acknowledge him, and they have turned to worship their own heart's desires. And so what do we see that stands out? Well, for me, the thing that stood out was that there's a designer. It's obvious. All you have to do is look around. And that all of these sins listed are, are bad. And that they separate us from God. That's what stands out. It stands out how our nature is without Christ. But it doesn't have to stay that way because God is good. And all you have to do is turn it over to him. You may have sinned in the past. In fact, I know you have. I have. We all have sinned. We all continue to fall short of the glory of God. But there's good news. What does this passage say about God? Um, it says that he is just because he gives a penalty for sin. But it, we also know that he has made himself known because he wants you to know him. 
and you you know him through his son Jesus Christ. So that's what this passage says about God that he is just. He there will be a punishment for sin. And the first part of chapter 1 tells us how that can be resolved, but without resolution we're separated from God. And lastly, what does this say about us? It this passage says that we are dead in our sin without God. And we tend to worship ourselves. In fact, we love to worship ourselves. It's our heart's desire. And so I pray for you today, if that has been your heart's desire, that it'll shift and it'll change. And you'll go forward desiring the things of God. And that's how we're going to start our week. Looking forward, saying, how am I going to shift my heart's desire to the things of God? And how am I going to continue? Am I going to be dead in my sin? Or am I going to turn it over to God? I hope you enjoyed today's MBS, Monday Bible Study, using the DBS, Discovery Bible Study. And I can't wait to see you next Monday on Monday BS with Wes. <laughs>